0: Chapter 7 of The Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. We discover the interior world. The officers and sailors responded to my speech with ringing cheers. Every man of them volunteered to stay by the ship and continue our voyage down the gulf. Whatever malcontents there may have been among the sailors, Those influenced by the prevailing enthusiasm were afraid to exhibit any cowardice. All were unanimous for further exploration. I signalled our resolution by a discharge of three guns which created the most thrilling reverberations in the mysterious abyss. Starting the engine again, the prow of the Polar King was pointed directly toward the darkness before us, toward the centre of the earth. We were determined to explore the hollow ocean to its further confines, if our provisions held out until such a work could be accomplished. We hoped at midnight to obtain our last look at the sun, as we would then be brought into the position of the opposite side of the watery crater down which we sailed. At eleven o'clock the sun rose above the limb of the gulf, which was now veiled in darkness. We were gladdened with two hours of sunlight, the sun promptly setting at one a.m. of the new day. We continued our voyage in the semi-darkness. The prow of the vessel still pointed to the centre of the earth, while the polar star shone in the outer heavens on the horizon directly over the rail of the vessel's stern. It did not appear to us that we were dropping straight down into the interior of the earth. On the contrary, we always seemed to float on a horizontal sea, and the earth seemed to turn upward towards us, and the polar cavern to gradually engulf us. The sight we beheld that day was inexpressibly magnificent, Five hundred miles above us rose the crest of the circular polar sea. Its upper hemisphere glowed with the light of the unseen sun. We were surrounded by fifteen hundred miles of perpendicular ocean, crowned with a diadem of icebergs. Glorious as was the sight, the sailors were terribly apprehensive of nameless disasters in such monstrous surroundings. It was impossible for them to understand how the ocean roof could remain suspended above us like the vault of heaven. The idea of being able to sail down a tubular ocean, the antechamber of some infernal world, was incomprehensible. We were traversing sea-built corridors, whose oscillating floors and roof remained providentially apart to permit us to explore the mystery beyond. Midday on the 13th of May brought no sight of the sun, but only a deepening twilight, the dim reflection of the bright sky we'd left behind. The further we sailed into the gulf, the less its diameter grew. When we had penetrated the vast aperture some 250 miles, we found that the aerial diameter was reduced to about 50 miles, thus forming a conical abyss. We were clearly sailing down a gigantic vortex or gulf of water, and we began to feel a diminishing gravity the further we approached the central abyss. The cavernous sea was subject to enormous undulations or tidal waves, either the result of storms in the interior of the earth or mighty adjustments of gravity between the interior and exterior oceans. As we were lifted up on the crest of an immense tidal wave, several of the sailors, as well as the lookout, declared they'd seen a flash of light in the direction of the centre of the earth. We were all terribly excited at the news, and as the ship was lifted on the crest of the next wave, we saw clearly an orb of flame that lighted up the circling undulations of water with the flush of dawn. We were now between two spectral lights, the faint twilight of the outer sun, and the intermittent dawn of some strange source of light in the interior of the earth. The sailors crowded to the top of both masts, and stood upon cross-trees and rigging, wildly anxious to discover the meaning of the strange light, and whatever the view from the next crest of waters would reveal. "'What do you think is the source of this strange illumination?' I inquired of the captain. "'Unless it is the radiance of fires in the centre of the earth.' "'It comes from some definite element of fire,' said the professor. "'The nature of which we will soon discover. "'It certainly does not belong to the sun, "'nor can I attribute it to an aurora dependent on solar energy.' "'Possibly,' said Professor Rackiron, "'we are on the threshold of, if not the infernal regions, "'at least a supplementary edition of the same. "'We may yet be presented at court, the court of Mephistopheles.' "'You speak idle words, Professor,' said I. On the eve of confronting unknown and perhaps terrible consequences, you walk blindfold into the desperate chances of our journey with a jest on your lips. Pardon me, commander, said he. I do not jest. Have not the ablest theologians concurred in the statement that hell lies in the centre of the earth, and that the lake of fire and brimstone there sends up its smoke of torment? For aught we know this lurid light is the reflection of the internal fires. At this moment a wild cry arose from the sailors, with one voice they shouted the sun the sun the sun the polar king had gained at last the highest horizon or vortex of water and there before us a splendid orb of light hung in the centre of the earth the source of the rosy flame that welcomed us through the sublime portal of the pole as soon as the astonishment consequent on discovering a sun in the interior of the earth had somewhat subsided we further discovered that the earth was indeed a hollow sphere It was now as far to the interior as to the exterior surface, thus showing the shell of the earth to be at the pole at least five hundred miles in thickness. We were halfway to the interior sphere. Professor Starbottle, who had been investigating the New World with his glass, cried out, "'Commander, we are to be particularly congratulated. The whole interior planet is covered with continents and oceans, just like the outer sphere!' "'We have discovered El Dorado,' said the captain with enthusiasm.' "'If we discover nothing else, I will die happy.' "'The heaviest elements fall to the centre of all spheres,' said Professor Goldrock. "'I am certain we shall discover mountains of gold ere we return.' "'I think we ought to salute our glorious discovery,' said Professor Rackiron. "'You see, the infernal world isn't nearly so bad a place as we thought it was.' "'I ordered a salute of one hundred terrorite guns to be given in honour of our discovery, and the firing at once began.' the echoed roaring of the guns was indescribably grand the trumpet-shaped caverns of water both before and behind us multiplied the heavy reverberations until the air of the gulf was rent with thunder the last explosion was followed by long-drawn echoes of triumph that marked out our introduction to the interior world strange to say that on the very threshold of success there are men who suddenly take fright at the new conditions that confront them it appeared that Boatswain Dunbar and eleven sailors, who had unwillingly sailed thus far, refused to proceed further with the ship, being terrified at the discovery we had made. I could have obliged them to have remained with us, but their reason being possibly affected, I saw that their presence as malcontents might in time cause a mutiny, or at all events an ever-present sort of trouble. They were wildly anxious to leave the ship and return home. Consequently, I gave them liberty to depart. The largest boat was lowered, together with mast and sails. I gave the command to Dunbar and furnished the boat with ample stores and plenty of clothing. I also gave them one half of the dogs and two sledges for crossing the ice. When the men were finally seated, Dunbar cast off the rope and steered for the outer sea. We gave them a parting salute by firing a gun, and in a short time they were lost in the darkness of the gulf. End of chapter 7